We have been trying to finish off a series on cities and walls. Uh, we've had a, a bumpy road with it. I wasn't here last week, and then a couple of weeks before that, we kind of sat around a circle. So I thought what I might do is kind of wrap it up, tie it all up together. So if you've heard none of this series, that's okay. You will get the gist because I'm kind of skimming over the top, and then we're just going to land it. We'll, we'll, we'll attempt to land it, this, this idea of city walls. So basically, and we'll kind of, yeah, run our, run our um, fingers over the top of what we've talked about, we, we began with this idea that God created a garden, not a city, a garden, an unwalled garden, an unprotected garden because walls weren't required, a place where there was freedom and a place where the 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 ability to stay in this safe, very safe environment, the ticket cost was trust. God said, trust me. Trust me and don't trust in your own wisdom. We know that didn't go well. Adam and Eve ended up outside of the garden walls, trusting in themselves, still with some level of trust in God, but really it was all over Red Rover for this for this brilliant, free garden that we all probably kind of look to and go, that would be amazing to go back there. It wasn't long before we saw things downward spiral. So you'll see a a verse, um, if you've got that other slide, PowerPoint up. Um, So we see that Cain, one generation on, just ends up further away from where uh, Adam and Eve were banished to. And why? Because his lack of trust was so deep that it led him to kill his brother. So God actually sends him further away but gives him this proviso. God put a mark on Cain. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that, sure, he was banished further. This was going to be further away from this garden, this freedom. But God always provides this this little moment where he says, but. And so for Cain, what he says is, I'm putting a mark on you to protect you so you can still trust in me. Cain doesn't trust. Cain builds a city. And if you were here, you'll remember the Hebrew word is ir, which a city by its nature in that ancient Hebrew writing language meant that it had walls. You don't have a city without a wall. They come together as a bit of a package deal. So Cain, is he has this opportunity, despite all the mistakes, he has an opportunity to trust, but he goes, no, you know what? I'm going to provide a way for us to be protected that doesn't include God. A few generations later, we see Lamech. If you were here, you remember we talked about Lamech as this, um, he, he's, he's completely lost the plot. So if trust is diminishing, it's at the point where it's at zero by the time we get to Lamech. He's the first one we hear about to have multiple wives. Isn't that a great thing for him to be known for? So what he's doing is accumulating possessions, and women are part of it. So he's decided that he's going to accumulate as much as he can, and he has this big brag. We talked about the poem of Lamech where he says, um, Cain talked about... uh, there was this description about how God was going to protect Cain, but actually I'm the one who's trustworthy. 
to be protecting all of my stuff, including you, my two wives. It's it's quite a bizarre and unique little poem from Lamech. Um, he doesn't want to trust in God at all anymore. So a lot of lowlights there. There are a few brilliant little highlights in through the Old Testament, but we do tend to see this continuation of this cycle where, where God's people come to a point where they go, I'm going to trust you, God. And then within a generation or so, they lose the plot and they build higher and higher and higher walls. So we see in Jerusalem, here's one of these rare highlights, when God takes the idea of a garden and the idea of a city and he kind of joins them together. And what do we find in the centre of Jerusalem? The temple with God's presence so we see this, you know, this hot little minute where God's people are trusting that God's presence is with them and where they don't have to rely on their walls. But again, they fail at that. Again, they get taken off into captivity and they don't trust and they have consequences. It's such a cycle. And you opened your phone this morning, probably like I did, and you saw the cycle again. Where is it? Jerusalem, Palestine. We see bombing. We see killing. We see people trying to build walls. We see people attacking each other. This is human history again and again and again. And as we lead into the New Testament, we know that um, there is a better way that's described. I think I've got a photo there of um, the walls in Lucca. These are in Italy. Oh, no, it's the other way, Raf, so keep going further. Yeah. So you think about city walls and you might think about, you know, a few cobbled stones put together. But but walls have traditionally been, they they had to get pretty heavy duty to be able to cope with incoming attacks. Bay, of course, decided to scale that wall, but I can't imagine trying to do it with a spear or with a knife or with a sword or with whatever. But as we think about the walls, we often think of physical walls, don't we? We're talking about these Old Testament physical walls that people built up because they struggled to trust in God. Now we have, and I'm not saying any of these things are bad, nor are the walls, but we have police, we have cyber security, we have all sorts of things. And then take it a step further inside of you. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to discover just how many walls I have up. I've been doing a subject called STFE. I don't think I could tell you what it stands for. Um, but it's it's part of my, the ordination process. And a lot of what we do is we sit around in a circle is we bring case studies and we bring ideas and we bring concepts and then people start to ask you questions and it gets more and more uncomfortable as you realise that you have these core beliefs and these ways of dealing with um, pain, these ways of dealing with conflict and I'm just going, I'm sitting there in this STFE class going, oh, that's a wall. Oh, yeah, and then there's that wall. Oh, and I also have that wall. And that's my life. I'm not going to assume it's your life, but I want to suggest that living in a broken and complex world, a lot of us have walls. And some walls are pretty important if we're being realistic. 
pretty important for living in a broken world. And, and that's what I want to kind of land on at the end of this is to talk about that and say, how do we actually live without walls? And can we live without walls? That's the question for the back of your mind. Anyway, back to this, you know, running through what we've talked about. Jesus comes on the scene. Thank goodness. In Isaiah 60, and we looked at these verses, there's this whole passage about a garden city that is full of light, don't even need the sun anymore. And then how does Jesus come? What does John 1 tell us? Jesus comes as light. Jesus comes as the light of the world. And then we opened up Matthew chapter 5, if you remember this from the week that we were sitting around. Um, what are we called? What does Jesus call the people who are sitting around as he's teaching them, as he's unpacking what it means for him to be on earth? What does he call the people who he's sitting around chatting to? What, Dave? Salt? Calls them salt? What else does he call them? Light. Yes, whisper it. That's a good <laughs> He calls them light. Isaiah 60, the light is coming. I promise you the light. Jesus comes. He is the light of the world. I don't know whether we talked about this as we in one of those weeks, but even the whole idea of um, the light in the sky that the Magi followed that stopped over Jerusalem and the Magi went and had a discussion, then the light continued on to Bethlehem. The light imagery in the Bible is phenomenal if you ever want to take a look and a deep dive into what light means in the bible incredible but we are also called the light which blows my mind because we're the ones building the walls he says but there's a new way there's a different way and we talked about this as this idea it's almost a a manifesto the sermon on the mount where jesus says Things like, and you can open it up if you like, Matthew chapter 5, where the Sermon on the Mount begins with the, you know, you you know this well, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is not wall-building mentality. This is not build yourself a wall and gates that close and protect yourself and accumulate stuff. This is an undoing of wall mentality. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then we see some don't. You have heard it said, don't murder. You've heard it said, haven't you? Don't murder. But I'm saying don't even be angry with people. I think this is a very strong hearkening back to that first murder. You've heard it said don't murder and you're probably walking around going, well, I've never murdered. I'm going to assume that's correct for everyone in the room. I've never murdered. I'm doing all right. But I tell you, Jesus says, I'm going to lift the bar to here and say that if you get angry with people, that's wall building mentality. Don't commit adultery. You've heard that said. But I'm telling you, says Jesus, that if you have a lustful thought in your heart and your mind, then you've already committed a sin. 
So the bar goes from here for all these people sitting around on that hillside, listening to Jesus teaching, wondering what the Messiah is going to be about. He takes the bar from here to here. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There's a whole story behind that. It was actually a gracious command. But you've heard that said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I'm saying don't resist an evil person. Now we're starting to get into some pretty crazy territory. This is serious wall deconstruction teaching. But I want to pause it here and say this. I think the Bible sometimes over the course of history has been used for inappropriate teaching. To say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one to them also. This is 100% not an excuse for putting up with mistreatment from another human being. And I think the church over the course of history has allowed, and sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, allowed for misbehaviour and allowed for abuse because we take this to an extreme. This is not accept domestic violence. This is not emotional abuse is okay. This is not Jesus saying accept any treatment that comes your way. Some of this is hyperbole and some of it is just an unwinding of all the wall-building mentality that had happened in Israel's history to that point. They had an opportunity to trust. They were called to trust and they couldn't do it. You and I are called to trust and sometimes we struggle to do it. But it's definitely and clearly not calling us to accept inappropriate and abusive behaviour from other people. And we as a church need to be ready to step up if we see it happening. Last but not least, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. You've heard that said. I say, love your enemies. Now, if you're a person sitting on that hillside listening to that ancient message from Jesus You have heard all your life about this coming Messiah and how this coming Messiah is going to conquer all the abuse, all the the unfairness, the injustice happening in the world at that time. And then Jesus comes and preaches this message. This would have been wild and crazy teaching at best. And I want to suggest still wild and crazy teaching for us today. It's a, it's a pretty big line and I would suggest that rather than it's a raising of the bar, which is what I've been saying, it's actually a deconstruction of the walls. Because the garden, way back here, we're coming back to. We're promised that there will be not a garden, but a garden city. God has taken this idea of garden meshed it with the human idea of a city and we have some amazing promises about what's to come. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you, people who trust in me, I want you to get out in front of it and live like we're already there. Live like we're in that garden city. Live as though we already 
have this ability to trust in God and where things work together for good. I don't know about you, but I find this very tricky teaching because I know we live in a broken world. This is not saying don't lock your doors, but it is saying love your enemies, and I find that incredibly challenging. But if we look back on the history of the church now, so going forward from Jesus, where do we most get away from what we're called to be as church? It's when we're constructing walls. It's when we're saying you're in and you're out. It's when throughout the history of the church we we make these very condemning statements about who should be inside the building and who should be outside the building. It's when we're trying to protect our stuff and protect our rights. It gets ugly. Jesus is saying, live like you're already in the garden city. Live like the new heaven and the new earth are already here. I don't know, I'm really confronted by that. I find it really challenging. I want to give some examples of what it is like to live with some deconstructed walls. The first one is a big kind of mega look at it. Um, do you remember this image? And you can't see it overly well there. But the image when Pope Francis took over. Did you, has anyone seen this image before? Um, so there was a lot of ornate um, uh, symbolic decoration and basically Francis pulled it all down. So the the Pope over here, not saying he's bad or anything like that, but red shoes symbolising his position on earth, red carpet, gold ornate throne. Um, he's got a special uh, red cape. Cape's probably the wrong word. Um, he's got the big stole. And then we see Francis, he's gone with the wooden cross, he's gone with normal shoes, he's gone with black pants, which is what normal priests wear, and he's shed the whole idea of a throne. He caught the bus with his fellow priests when he should have been in the Pope-mobile, you know, that bulletproof Pope-mobile. <coughs> he has spent a lot of time deconstructing walls and saying, let's do this differently. Let's do this more like how Jesus described on the Sermon on the Mount. That's a bit out of our reach. Slightly closer to home, and I have I have spoken to you about this this part of my trip a few weeks ago, um, Ange and Ash Barker, who live in Birmingham. Uh, this is their backyard. Uh, so the, the house that they live in is called Newbiggin House, and just behind that is the church um, that is basically empty because... Uh, you know, Christendom is kind of collapsing in on itself. But these guys are out doing incredible work in the community, community development work and also just being totally inclusive. That backyard was where 25 young kids from the local primary school came after school and they're running around eating ice creams, kicking soccer balls. Um, I was sitting inside when they all arrived and I could hear a mum yelling at her little boy and I thought, that sounds like a young mum. And I went out in the backyard and realised that she's holding a newborn. And I'm like, oh, she's got two kids. She looks so young. And then I realised she's got four kids and she's 22. This is who they are ministering to all the time. And when Ash showed us around, uh, the, he was giving us a tour of the area, we walked into Newbiggin House where he lives and he said, we've got 
uh, I think eight people living here at the moment. I'm not sure. Deconstructing walls all the time. Is this your house? Is this my house? Now, I'm not saying we all have to just open our doors and have people come in, but every time we have someone over for a meal, every time we say you can stay for a while, every time we open up that gate, even just a little bit, it's as though we're living in that garden city. It's as though we're taking what Jesus said and going, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to take that seriously. They're taking it really seriously, but it doesn't have to be that extreme for it to be life changing for someone else. How do we deconstruct the walls? How do you deconstruct the walls? I guess it's part of it is asking what are the walls? Every time we, we deal with a diff- difficult relationship rather than continuing to build up our emotional walls. Every time we say, I am actually going to let you in just a little bit. That's deconstructing walls. That's living with the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Every time you put your trust in God, instead of totally relying on yourself, who you feel like you can, you know, you can trust yourself more than anyone else in the world. A lot of us do. In a very individualistic Western culture, that's how we're built. Every time we trust, every time we give, Every time we give to UNHCR, every time we give to the church, knowing that it's going to be a tight month, every time we're doing that, we're living the Sermon on the Mount. We're saying, I trust you that we're going to be in a garden city and I'm going to act like we're already there. And how can we do that? The reason we can do it is because Jesus did it before us. He really did. He taught this. He lived this. He died by this. And he rose by this for the joy set before him. Remember that verse? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He deconstructed walls everywhere he went. So because he did it, we can do it. Now, as we wrap this, wrap this thing up, I love these images from Revelation. So there will be walls apparently in the new city. the the, the garden city that God's creating. But the walls aren't used for the same purposes that we use walls. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, ruby, chrysolite, beryl. Did anyone know there was a, a, a gem called beryl? It seems so wrong. Topaz, turquoise, jacinth and amethyst. I've probably said half of those wrong. That's what the city walls are going to look like in the new city, the one where we are the promise of what God is going to deliver, that new space. We don't need the walls. They're still there, but the gates are open. It's very clear the gates are open. Revelation 21 says, I do not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is what we have to look forward to. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light, gives it light and the lamp is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day 
will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. That is our future. And what did Jesus said? You are the salt. You are the light. We are invited to live like we're already here. I find it challenging and I want to ask you some questions. It, it might not be a morning where people are feeling particularly chatty. We'll see how this goes. Here are some of my questions. Do you think it's possible to live with deconstructed walls in a broken world? Be as honest as you like. What part of the Sermon of the Mount do you find really confronting? Can you tell a story of a time you pulled down walls in your life and what was the result? And it doesn't have to be a happy one. There are some questions for you. Feel free to throw something into the mix as we finish this series on deconstructing walls. And what does that mean, Dave? If, if you've got your walls down and someone else doesn't, what does that mean? <coughs> it's risky. It's incredibly risky. Yeah. Yeah, because some it, because of the risk. There's huge risk. But I come back to Cain's example. He he was he was at risk anyway. You know, he's outside of the you know, this blessing, this this blessed land, and God says, "I will protect you." It was risky, and he couldn't do it. I feel like for me it's just little bit by little bit, Sally. See if you can deconstruct the walls. I don't think we can say, all right, everyone, on the way out, if you could just drop your walls completely on every level. It's not that, is it? That's not what faith is about. Faith is a little bit by little bit process. <laughs> the engineer always has to have compartments. Load-bearing walls, yes. Yeah, don't take down the load-bearing walls. Mm. It's a little bit tricky sometimes to figure out how to differentiate between appropriate walls and you know, are there such a thing as appropriate walls? We give up our insurance policies, our Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some things just aren't sensible because we're so absorbed into this world that, that we've spent a lot of centuries creating. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, we've all probably got an example in our mind of that probably young adult who at some point in our journey has gone, you know what, I'm selling everything like Jesus said to do and I'm just going to give it all to the poor and I'm going to trust in God. And, you know, 20 years later, they're still scrambling to try and get enough money to survive. There are There are sensible things to do and really foolish things to do. So, so what do you do with that? Yeah. I don't know either, but I think we're called to work it out together. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So there's a very clear distinction there between no, it's not clear. Probably that's the problem between boundaries and walls because Jesus had very strong boundaries. He stepped away from the crowds even when people were calling him to heal. Um, he spoke up and spoke the truth in love, even though sometimes it was, it was harsh, you know, when, especially when he spoke to the leaders. So he had very strong boundaries, but called for a completely different way of operating and thinking. So he managed the two. So I assume from that that we can manage the two. It's just going to take, well, it will and it has and it will continue to take time to work out how to live this instruction that Jesus very clearly gave, saying you are headed for this garden city. Trust me enough to start living it now. None of us are going to live this perfectly. If you've read, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, oh, my word, it's not, it's not for the faint-hearted. But start to live it now, he says. Trust me enough to start to live it now. I think morning tea is calling. Sally is really hoping for another sausage, but we'll keep Lindsay away from the plate of sausages. There's other deliciousness up there, so please enjoy morning tea. I'm just going to pray as we finish. God, we thank you for the garden that you created, the perfect world that you created. We long to get that back. We long to live in a space that doesn't require walls. We long to live in a space where the lamb and the lion lay down together. You've promised that place. You've promised a garden city. So we just ask quite simply that you would give us wisdom and strength and trust enough in you to start, just to begin to live like that in a world that's not quite ready for it. Help us to do that as individuals, as families, and as a church. Amen.